0: Welcome to this week in California education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, and I'm John Fensterwald, Editor at Large at EdSource. Good to have you back, John.
1: Thank you, Lewis. Good to be back.
0: Now, where were you? Actually, uh, were you looking at classrooms in around the state or other states? Well, we drove by a lot of classrooms. Uh, I didn't go in any of them. We were camping in Eastern Washington and Eastern Oregon. Okay. Well, you came back just in time to catch up on what's happening in the governor's race. Yep. Fully refreshed and ready to discuss. Okay. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because since our last podcast, the California Teachers Association made its endorsement in both the governor's race and the superintendent of public instruction. They endorsed Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom. And they also endorsed Assemblyman Tony Thurman, who is an Assemblyman from the Richmond East Bay area. So the CTA plays a hugely important role because they have so much clout, both in terms of money and putting boots on the ground in terms of getting out the vote. So these endorsements were pretty significant. Not a huge surprise, I would have to say, because Newsom's major opponent, at least based on early polls, is the former mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villaraigosa, who really has been at loggerheads with the teachers union for the last several years on a number of issues. And on the superintendent of public instruction side, uh, Tony Thurman's main opponent, or actually only real opponent, is Marshall Tuck, who is closely identified with the charter school sector, and they opposed him last time when he ran against the incumbent, Tom Torlakson. But John, give us your thoughts as to why we should pay attention from from the education side of things to both of these races. The state superintendent is an elected office, but it has no authority over
1: policy. That's a state board of education, and the governor controls the budget. And nonetheless, besides being the bully pulpit, it's an advisor, certainly to the governor
0: and to the state board, and runs the State Department of Education. But last time around, in 2014... This was the most expensive race on the ballot. Yes. I think it was close to $30 million was spent on both sides. That's right. That's both in direct contributions and on these independent expenditure committees. Actually, three times more than was spent on the governor's race. Remarkable. It really
1: became a referendum on charter schools. And it was at the time, it was Tom Torlakson seeking re-election and Marshall Tuck, who was one of the first administrators of Green Dot Public Schools a charter organization, which, by the way, has union teachers. But uh, it became one of, as you said, the most expensive race in state history for that office. And uh, he had the support of some very wealthy charter supporters as well, uh, Eli Broad and uh, Reed Hastings of Netflix. And so one of the big questions is, is this going to be simply another referendum or another oversized, expensive race on the issue of charters, because there are a lot of other things that need to be discussed as well.
0: And what do you think? You think that's how it's going to play itself out? I think unless
1: uh, EdSource and others raise other issues, such as the local control funding formula, whether it needs changes, such as the new accountability system, how are you going to reshape the Department of Education to make it effective, these are really critical issues, and the funding issue Uh, you know, the superintendents traditionally have said, well, we need more money, but frankly have been more whiners than constructively advocating and out there saying this is what we need. So all these things are really critical and it would be unfortunate if they didn't get the attention that they deserve.
0: Well, one of the factors driving this, the endorsements that the CTA made, usually they make the endorsements in March, but this time they made the endorsements in October. The reason is that basically, there's only two major candidates, Tuck and Thurman. And this is a nonpartisan race. So whoever gets more than 50% of the vote in June wins. And so with two, it's almost certain that one of them will get 50%. If they anybody got less than 50%, then it would go to a runoff in November. But basically, this race will be decided in June. And that's more or less around the corner. That's right. Last time, there were three
1: candidates. There was a teacher from Southern California who got enough votes that it swung the vote to a November election, denied a 50%. But you're right. It will probably be decided in the primary, and that's why CTA is endorsing early. We'll be interviewing the candidates between now and then, for sure, and we'll have a lot more to talk about it. But let's talk about the governor's race for a moment, Lewis. You've had the chance to interview all four leading candidates in Sacramento not long ago.
0: Well, that's right. The uh, Advancement Project California organized these one-on-one presentations from each one of the candidates, and then I talked to each one of them for 15 minutes. And I did get a really good sense of where they stood on the major issues around education. And I have to say, the conclusion I came to was that if you're an advocate for education and you believe that schools are important— you believe preschool is important, you believe more money should be spent on schools, you're going to be pretty happy with any one of the four leading candidates. And those, at the moment, are Lieutenant Governor Newsom, as we've been talking about, former mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villarugosa, former state superintendent of public instruction, Delane Easton, and the current state treasurer, John Chung. Right. Are those the only candidates, Lewis? Well, actually, about 40 people have signed up Most of them we haven't heard of, quite a few on the Republican side, independents, third-party candidates. But in California, the odds of a Republican winning the governorship at this point is virtually nil. So the only ones who've really registered in the polls are those four, Newsom, Viragosa, Chong, and Easton. So, so far, a lot of the discussion has been around uh, universal health care. And
1: so we've, I think it remains to be seen how much of an issue education will be in the
0: ne- months to come. But, but tell me, Lewis, what did you talk about with him? One of the things that quite a lot of advocates are upset about with Governor Brown is that he has not exactly been a big fan of universal preschool. There has been a lot of pressure to really expand that to all four-year-olds in the state. And so I did ask each one of the candidates about that, and they are pretty clear that they are committed to universal preschool. And I think that we should see some more movement on that, of course, depending on the economy. I did ask them about where the money would come from, and sign of how things have really shifted, all of them said they would be willing to consider or push additional taxes now that the floodgates, as it were, have been opened with Prop 30, the the tax increases that uh, Governor Brown championed and was able to get through. Three out of the four, I'd say, also said that they would consider going to the voters around some kind of reform of Prop 13. Viragosa was not against it, but he said, well, he'd really prefer to deal with this through the legislative process rather than using initiatives. He said he wasn't a big fan of initiatives. But if you're a preschool advocate, I think you would be quite happy at the responses of those candidates.
1: That's really interesting that at this early Proposition 13 reform, by which they mean, I'm assuming, uh, looking at residential and industrial
0: property. The split role, the commercial rates, which have been so repressed compared to the residential rates. But even that's still a very
1: controversial issue to raise.
0: Still a steep hill to climb, but I was intrigued that they were willing to look at that again. So, what do they say about K 12, Lewis? Well, again, I think this is another area where there is some anxiety in education circles in the state as to whether the next governor will be committed to the local control funding formula to continue the reforms that Governor Brown championed. And this is really one of his great legacies the local control funding formula, which targets additional funds, billions of dollars, at high-needs kids, low-income kids, English learners, foster kids, and homeless children. So I asked each one of the candidates what their views on local control funding formula were, and all of them said they believe in the LCFF and did not give any indication that they would try to undo it or move in another direction. Viragosa did say that he felt that the state needed to do more than LCFF, I didn't have an opportunity to ask him what he meant by that.
1: That's a pertinent question. We will look forward to asking that because I think what it comes down to is this. All of them say we believe in local control, but many of them may come out with proposals such as, do you support a couple billion dollars to continue career technical education. Do you support more money for maybe, say, special education or, or for other things that are what we used to call categorical funding, very specified money that goes to specific purposes? Governor Brown is been very consistent in the past couple of years. I giving you money for local control, you you decide, school districts, how to spend that money. And we're not going to recreate these pots of money. But, you know, we will see if the candidates are equally committed to that philosophy, or whether they will come in and when asked do you support money for X or do you support money for Y, they will say yes and in an effect that will
0: eat into local control. I did not get a sense that any of the candidates were really in favor of a top-down kind of approach. Gavin Newsom made a kind of a stirring declaration of support for local control. Uh, that seemed to be, there seemed to be a consensus that local control is important and, and should continue. Antonio Virogosa did suggest that there needed to be more teeth in the accountability provisions, but uh, that wasn't expressed by the other candidates. Did the candidates say anything about teacher tenure and seniority, which were raised in the Vergara lawsuit a couple of years ago? Well, actually, I didn't have a chance. We didn't have time to ask them about that. But the candidates this week did appear at the City Club of San Francisco. The San Francisco Chronicle moderated a discussion with all four. And that issue did come up. Antonio Viragosa was really the only one who said that he would revisit that issue as governor. And in fact, we're going to bring you some clips from that debate so you can hear what they had to say. So we'll first go to Antonio Viragosa.
2: I supported Vergara. I was one of the few Democrats in this state to support Vergara. I supported Vergara not because I don't believe in tenure. Uh, I do. We have one of the shortest tenures in the United States. I think there are 30 states that have a, a longer tenure period. Ours is two years. I used to represent teachers. I worked for the teachers union for eight years, and I can tell you after the first, it's over. You, you really can't do anything. So uh, I said, let's, re- let's use this to reform it. And with seniority shouldn't be able to drive uh, decisions. And when I was mayor and I took over Roosevelt High School, there were people that wanted to teach algebra and geometry because they had seniority and they could teach algebra and ge- uh, they could pick their classes, even if that wasn't their strength. I said, it should be a factor, but not the only factor. And yes, I would reform it. Uh, as governor, because I think we've got to address the fact that the system is broken when so many poor kids and so many kids of color aren't making it in this state.
0: State Treasurer John Chung said he actually didn't agree with the ruling of the trial court judge in the Vergara lawsuit that found the state laws around teacher tenure and seniority unconstitutional.
2: Uh, One of the things I think we need to do is we need to look at how we intervene and support teachers in the classroom. Right. We want to make sure that teachers up front, when they decide to enter into the education profession, addressing the teacher shortage issue, the teacher recruitment issue, get the support, get the training uh, appropriately in school, that you have professional development programs so that they're well-led, so that they can be successful.
0: Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom felt very strongly that a confrontational approach going after teachers, suggesting that there's all these unqualified teachers that need to be fired was not the way to deal with the problem.
2: None of us are for bad teachers. I don't think any of us are standing here defending lousy teachers. Uh, But, you know, firing teachers with respect is not a school reform strategy. Um, And I, you know, I submit, again, the biggest crisis we have uh, is the demoralization of our teachers and the need to recruit more teachers and retain more teachers and train more teachers. Uh, As it relates to the more the broader issues. Uh, Look, if you're going to get serious about the achievement gap, we're going to get serious about poverty eradication. you got to begin at the beginning. Delane was right to talk about preschool, but I think it's also important to talk about prenatal care. We talk about zero to five, that's not good enough. you got to talk about zero to three. 85% of the brain is developed in those first three years, frankly, the first three months. Uh, We've got to focus on early childhood education. We've got to focus on those early
0: years. And Elaine Easton, who really knows more about schools and education after being a superintendent of public instruction for eight years than any of the candidates, and is really very passionate and and quite motivating in her public appearances on the issue. She said that she's talked with a lot of teachers who themselves think that two years that it takes for teachers to get permanent status or tenure, whatever you call it, really is probably too short. But she felt that this was the wrong issue to be taking on right now, especially at a time of a teacher shortage in California.
2: If you
1: have a shortage of teachers, this is a silly conversation. Because the fact is, they're not laying them off in two years or in five years because there's nobody waiting to take the job. Because we've demoralized this profession so much. The truth be known, we ought to be looking our teachers in the eye and saying... Thank you for taking the most important job in America. We have to create more opportunity for teachers to make, yes, a living wage, to, to in fact, learn to to have the time to collaborate with one another. The truth is the word that teachers often use to describe their job
2: is isolated.
1: Well, teacher tenure certainly is a controversial issue. When you talked to the candidates, did you also get their views on charter schools?
0: Well, actually, I did talk with them. And what was very interesting, there was a very strong agreement on charter schools. All the candidates say there's good charters and there's not good charter schools. But they all agreed that there should not be for-profit charter schools in California. Now, this does set them apart from Governor Brown, who has vetoed legislation in the past that would have outlawed for-profit schools in California. Of course, for-profit charters
1: are just a minuscule portion of charter schools in California, almost all are non-profit organizations, but it is a contentious issue. It just can't seem to get resolved.
0: Yes, I think the for-profit schools have become, in some ways, a very symbolic issue. Certainly, the Teachers Association has taken this on, and there have been some abuses there. The K-12 Inc., which runs a a lot of virtual charters, has been fined by former Attorney General Kamala Harris. And there's been a lot of bad publicity around some of those schools, particularly the virtual charter schools. Of the candidates, Delane Easton is the only one who
1: calls for an actual moratorium on all charters and just sets herself
0: apart from the others who don't. Am I right there? That is correct. I don't think anybody else is calling for a moratorium. But Gavin Newsom says we need to look under the hood more closely. That's actually the quote. He feels that we need to really be tracking how the funds are spent. He did say, let's take
1: a look at all these out-of-state charter organizations Which struck me as odd because I don't know of any of all the major charter organizations or KIPP or Green Dot or Spire. They're
0: all California based. I think he had in mind the K-12 Inc., which has a contract with the California Virtual Academies, which are nonprofit organizations, kind of a complicated relationship. So I I don't anticipate that there would be huge changes, at least not promoted by the governor. But I could see that there would be some tightening of the accountability provisions and some of the other regulations that are not as clear with charter schools, even conflict of interest, open meeting laws, and so on.
1: Most charters voluntarily or required by their authorizers do adhere to these statutes, but you're right, they're not required to under law. And I think that there will be some changes as you point out. Governor Brown has been the protector of charter schools for eight years. He won't be around, so it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: But my overall sense is that there's going to be considerable continuity between the policies and and innovations, really landmark innovations that Governor Brown championed and uh, the next governor. I agree with you. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week in California Education. If you like what you heard, please help others find us by giving us a review on iTunes. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource with editor at large John Fensterwald. Our producer is Sarah Tan. Thanks for listening and see you next week.